0: The sports desk of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal at Red
1: Raiders.com. Here's your look at all things Texas Tech sports. Now, here's the Red Raider Podcast.
0: Well, hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the weekly Texas Tech Sports Podcast. I'm Don Williams from the Lubbock Avalanche Journal, AJ Media Tech Football Beat Rider, joined as always by uh, AJ Media Sports Editor Carlos Silva Jr., he's a Tech basketball beat writer and Carlos is up in Kansas City as we speak, where uh, Big Twelve Media Days have been going on this week. Welcome back in, Carlos. Doing well, Don. Just uh, getting getting used to that grind. Like
1: I told you, it's going to start being to where I'm not in the office a lot now. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, uh, we're gonna we're gonna get to some uh, basketball discussion uh, mm-hmm. as proceed this evening, but. Um, Uh, Start off with a little bit of football. Texas Tech getting ready to take on Kansas State. Uh, 11 a.m. game on Saturday at Jones AT&T Stadium. And uh, some pretty high stakes in this one for Texas Tech in particular. uh, Actually, both teams have a ton of motivation. Uh, For Texas Tech, it's the opportunity to become bowl eligible. One more. Red Raiders are five and two, need one more win to get to – Six and two, six and two, and uh, uh, be eligible for a bowl bid. Um, as we've written this week, they probably need to do it Saturday because uh, after that, boy, there's no uh, there's no surefire sixth win on the schedule. I don't know that Saturday is a, a surefire sixth win, but the Red Raiders are one point favorites against KSU, and after that, the remaining four opponents. Have a combined record of 26 and six, so uh, I'm sure Matt Wells and the guys would like to uh, get it out of the way, ASAP. On the flip side, Kansas State three and three, Wildcats are 0 and three in the Big 12, and uh, I guess it didn't dawn on uh, didn't dawn on many of us until the week began that uh, Kansas State is not only 0 and three this season of the Big 12, but they lost their last five games last season, and so mm-hmm. outcasts come to town with an eight-game losing streak in conference play, and um, we'll get all the ins and outs of uh, KSU uh, from Ryan Black, Manhattan Mercury beat writer for Kansas State. You spoke with him uh, uh, earlier today, Carlos, right? Yeah, fortunately since I was in Kansas, we had a bunch of the beat
1: writers there, so I was able to Corner him in the bowels of the T-Mobile Center, so we were able to talk about 15 to 20 minutes, just about the 0-3 start. I'm sure you saw it on Twitter where I guess uh, there was a little bit of a brouhaha in terms of, uh, I guess, the way Coach Kleiman had asked the media to be more positive, I guess, to the players. He explained that a little bit, provided more context compared to what was on Twitter, so I thought that was a nice little discussion we got into something that was a little bit more localized and I guess maybe I'll get your thoughts on it Don since they got a victory that was expected over Kansas uh, last weekend and Lawrence you were there 41-14 but one thing that happened before that was during his uh, normal Matt Wells uh, barbecue and talk to the fans he uh, couldn't couldn't think of a reason as to why he liked Lubbock when he was asked that and Ryan was kind of curious as to how that was taken by the locals I personally think it was just one of those things where sometimes you just you know you forget things you know it happens with you it happens with me and unfortunately the 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 word I shouldn't say unfortunately that the difference frankly is you and I don't make about five million dollars or close to you know that three million uh, and yeah and and obviously to the uh effect of being under the scrutiny of so many fans with uh being a five and two record and all those other things and I think that's really the, the biggest thing is he He's just a very, very uh, big celebrity, I guess, in Lubbock. So everything he does is scrutinized, and doesn't help when you're not uh, very good. The last couple of years, four wins in each of the last couple of seasons. Now you got five, and of course, going to what you alluded to, looking to get boy eligible for the first time in several years.
0: Yeah, I, I, I was listening, and what you uh, what you're referring to, he said on on his radio show last week. He was asked what he liked about living in Lubbock, and he kind of fumbled around a little bit and I think uh, folks who were there said he uh, appeared distracted by something at at that time and um, talked about, you know, some of his kids coaches and that sort of thing, but didn't give the kind of answer that you would expect in that situation The people. Um, But I I think it's one of those deals where if uh, Mike Leach answers the same question, the same way in 2008, or if Chris Beard answers the same question the same way in 2019, the reaction from fans is, "Our coach is so uh, is so uh, working his tail off with our team that he doesn't even know that <laughs> he doesn't even uh, know anything outside of the uh, uh, outside of the walls of his office. Keep grinding, Coach. Um, I, I think it's simply a, another example of." Uh, uh, if you are dead set against a guy, then you're looking for uh, every reason you can to be even more dead set against a guy. And if, uh, if the team had been winning for the last three, three years, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. I think that's a fair
1: assessment. But I guess just uh, obviously
0: that aside, Don, obviously uh,
1: things taken care of in Kansas, as I mentioned before, 41-14. Henry Columbia had a decent day. The offense had a decent day. Kansas did score the two touchdowns late, but that was because there were a lot of second, even third teamers on the squad. I know you mentioned the New Mexico State transfer, former Las Cruces product. Um, the only reason I bring that up, Matthew Young was on the field as well. I guess from your perspective, could they have played a better game? Or I guess what is the the best way to kind of explain this game against Kansas where I know you and I discussed it pretty quick, but um, you, I don't know what Matt Wells could have done to make anyone kind of change their mind just to, what what would have happened with this result?
0: Yeah, it was it was a it was pretty much a no win situation as we talked about. If you uh, if you win the way they did, well, it's Kansas. You're supposed to blow out Kansas. If they lose, then <laughs> Katie a Moore different conversation. conversation. <laughs> uh, I, I thought under the circumstances they couldn't have played a a, a whole lot better. Um, you know the. Uh, First nine series that the offense had, they scored. Uh, what was it? Six touchdowns and six touchdowns, two field goals, and nine series. The, the only sounds right. The only stop that Kansas got was the interception on the on the second on text second series of the game. So the offense was was efficient. They scored a couple of touchdowns there in the second quarter that gave them a twenty-four to nothing halftime lead. The defense, when uh, the first team, first and second team guys were in there, pretty much had their way with Kansas. Now, granted, uh, that, was, that was a pretty weak Kansas team. Uh, yes. There's was, you know, there was nothing about their offense, really, that impressed me, including, you know, Jason Bean is the guy who was the state meet sprinter here. And they really never let him uh, get loose for any kind of yardage. And uh, highly touted freshman running back, same thing never really did much of anything. Um, uh, They're ahead 41 to nothing late in the fourth quarter, and Matt Wells said, you know, as much as you want to get the shutout when you get close to something like that, he said it wasn't worth it to keep the starters in there at that point. Other yeah. guys practice, they deserve to play, and there's no better opportunity for, for your third and fourth team guys to play mm-hmm. than in that kind of situation, and they give up a touchdown late. Or actually a fifty-six seconds left in the game, I think. Then the offense comes back out and fumbles. Yeah, 36. And, yeah, so then Kansas gets another gets another cheap touchdown there at the end to make it uh 41-14 final. But uh but, you know, here's here's the thing. Two years ago in Lawrence you lost on the last play of the game. Yeah after blowing a 17 point lead. And last year in Lubbock against Kansas, you you only beat them 16 to 13. So, again, under the circumstances, I think uh, that was about as good a performance as you uh, uh, would would want, would ask for, or, or would expect. One
1: penalty, which is certainly something else to kind of pay attention to is a Texas tech, tech is at least playing a little bit better uh, from a penalty standpoint, so not beating themselves. The only thing, like you said, Don, was that interception by Henry Columbi. certainly not a – Decision he'll look back on is a uh, very good. I know if you were looking from the other side, if I remember the TV broadcast, it looked like he had another guy open, at least in terms of being on one-on-one coverage instead of throwing it with a safety over high. So again, one little mistake can turn it, but I think if there was a time to make mistakes, this would be a team to do that, which brings me to my next point. And I know you have a story coming out in uh, Thursday's edition of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal on former friendship standout Donovan Smith, who's been getting a little bit more of a, of a role here with Texas Tech, just been in there for maybe a little bit of option play, some RPOs. He actually threw the ball a couple times, and I think this was a time that it wasn't a you're on the road against, you know, number 10 Oklahoma State, get us a first down. It's uh, just make a play, don't underthrow it. Which it seemed like on one of the big throws, I know everyone was excited. I can't remember how long the play was. Might have been 30 plus yards. 47. Under, 47. Yeah, 47. Thank you. He underthrew it a little bit, but that's a team that you can do that against. And his receiver made the play. But I think this was certainly a good, a good place to give him some confidence. How did you feel about the way Donovan Smith threw the ball or just overall is seen an expanded role now?
0: Yeah. Uh, he was four out of five, 70 yards. The play you alluded to, he threw, uh, through a, uh, Pass deep down the middle to Eric as went for 47 yards. Donovan himself said, you know, yeah, I could have thrown that a little better should have let him a little bit more could have been a touchdown, but, uh, you know, he played clean. He's played clean so far uh, Has protected the football. He has four out of five for 70 yards on Saturday, he carried it six times for 37 yards. And I think the thing they like about him, you know, he's a big physical guy, you know, six, five and 230 plus pounds. And, uh, as someone said last week I think it's maybe Sonny Cumbie said you know, at his size you you realize pretty quickly that people people aren't really lining up to tackle you they don't want to tackle you especially if you get any head of steam and so um, you know he got in uh, in those first nine series uh, in, in six of those first nine usually it's for one or two plays at a time but then later in the game as, as you mentioned he, he got uh, he got a full series. And um, it made it pay off. And I thought the most, thought the most interesting thing that was said was uh, in his Zoom with reporters on Sunday night, Matt Wells was asked about the plan for Donovan Smith going forward. And Matt said uh, it, it, it won't be uh, less or it won't be decreased. I'll, I can tell you that. And so I, th- I thought that was uh, pretty significant that he – pretty well committed to saying that, yeah, you're, you're going to continue to see Don, uh, Donovan Smith frequently in games. Now, I, I don't know that that means uh, for a full series. I think it just means that, uh, you know, for those one or two plays at a time, pretty much every, you know, three out of every four series, you're going to see Donovan Smith in there, you know, with an opportunity to, uh, to make something happen. The good thing, too, is now – all the opposing teams
1: that they're going to be playing down the stretch. Not that it may make a difference or not, but now they've got some tape knowing that he can throw it instead of it's just, Hey, he's the running guy. He's going to probably run it either up the middle or fake it or give it to someone. So now you've got at least that dual threat possibility, which certainly Donovan Smith has the legs to do that. And is showed against Kansas can lower the shoulder as well, but any other last takeaways before we get to our questions here, Don? Cause I mean, like I said, I, I don't know what, else there is to kind of talk about Kansas other than the fact that they got a win and they got a handed win, which is something that you couldn't say the last couple of years against the Jayhawks.
0: Well, I guess the most, the other interesting thing that kind of came out of that game was, uh, you know, people like to talk about Texas Tech's defensive front, how many people that play in the box. And on Saturday they went, uh, pretty much exclusively with four linebackers, uh, which is, uh, which is a change because, uh, it's been pretty much three linebackers, uh, Pretty much down in, down out every game. Um, so uh, against KU, they went with the usual three down, but they played four backers. Uh, it's pretty much Rico Jeffers and Colin Schooler on the inside. Nearly every snap while the game was still a game. And then um, Jacob Morgenstern was in uh, most of those snaps as well as one of the outside backers. And uh, Josiah Pierre and Brandon Randall played a little bit at the other outside backer, but that was very consistent. That was like a 3-4 look, or in quite a few cases, it was a 2-4 look where they actually just went two down defensive linemen with four linebackers. Um, Kind of, you know, reminds you of TCU, since TCU plays, that two down, two stand-up guys on the edge. That was kind of what Texas defense looked like for stretches there on Saturday. Now I thought it was interesting because Matt Wells said that he kind of put it off on saying he had injuries in the secondary, not as many people available in the secondary, uh, which kind of didn't necessarily ring true to me because that was true. That's been true for the last few weeks. You've, you've had a uh, secondary guys in and out uh, uh, and haven't seen that look up front. Um, you know, and Saturday, yeah, you had Adrian Fry out. Of course, Marquise Waters has been out for weeks. Mm-hmm. But she also had uh, you had Reggie Pearson back. Um, so I'm not to me it didn't quite ring true that uh, that you didn't have as many DBs as you normally have because you got you got you got one of your starters back. Um and, you know, that's that's been a secondary that's been missing guys left and right for about the last month. I thought it may have been, I thought it may have been more to not insult Kansas, just say that uh, quite simply uh, thought the bigger threat for them was the running game. They didn't really have much in the passing game that they really feared. So they thought they could get away with uh, playing, you know, four linebackers as opposed to five DBs, which they normally play.
1: Yeah. And uh, for those that want to complain about stuff, uh, I know I don't really talk about this much, but was watching uh, the old UTEP Miners play against Louisiana tech over the weekend. And one thing I saw was, I know people talk about, Oh, the two, three line or whatever, Louisiana tech had some, had some weird deals with the defensive line down where all of them were just standing up. So they almost had like a zero technique, if you want to call it that. And it, it was just essentially making an offensive line guess. So at least people don't have that to complain about. So yeah.
0: Well, there's a to, there's a ton of three-man front played, in the, not just here, but uh, in the Big 12 and in college football. And like I said, as you – Oh, yeah. All the, it, there's, All the passing. All the passing. You know, you, you you watch, and there's uh, a lot of teams that are playing with, like I say, TCU, for example. Most downs only has two defensive linemen with their hand in the ground and uh, a couple of guys st- playing stand-up. Yeah. Um, So each week on the Tech Podcast, we solicit uh, your questions. And so, Carlos, we'll swing into questions now, Uh, staying on football for a moment. And again, we will get to Tech Basketball. Um, AG the third asked Is uh, Texas Tech's defense healthier now than they were going into the TCU game, or should you expect the same old performance? Uh, also when will Taj Brooks be back and is Tyler Shuck still on track to return this season? I'll, I'll answer those in the reverse Is Tyler Shuck still on track to return this season. Now, uh, Matt, uh, I, I believe so. Yes. Short answer. Yes. I think so. Um, uh, you know, when he first got hurt, Matt will said he would be down for at least six weeks. And then, uh, back in possibly November. Now, uh, from when he got hurt, uh, and keep in mind, Tech has uh, a, an open week coming up after, right before Iowa State. Uh, yeah, after they play Oklahoma, and so from the day he got hurt until he plays Iowa, until Tech plays Iowa State, that is seven weeks. And they initially said, you know, probably six week recovery period. So I think there's a good chance that you'll see Tyler available to play. Again, at some point in those last three games, maybe maybe available for all of those last three games uh, in November. Uh, so I'm last week at the uh, so I'm last week at the facility and he seemed in good spirits and <laughs> gave me a little fist bump. Uh, oh, wow, that's more than he gives me. Wow. uh, So, yeah, I I would expect to see uh, Tyler Shook available to return this season, and and I I would expect to see him back on the field when he is available. Uh, Taj Brooks, uh, will he be back? You know, Taj, when he first got hurt, the injury was described to me as he would be down for a couple of weeks, and now he's missed four games. So, uh, also saw Taj Brooks at the facility this week, and uh, he was on a scooter, Carlos. Uh, Lower leg injury. With with the lower leg injury, he was he was on the scooter. Look 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 fit. Look ready to go. I don't know. Did if he they, fist bump you too? He didn't fist bump me. They will, and I don't know if they'll let him. Uh, I don't know if the Big Twelve officials will let him uh, ride the scooter uh, yeah. and the state. But uh, yeah, I, I think Taj Brooks is close to return. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if, uh, at all if uh, if he's in uniform this Saturday. Uh, if not, though, I think I think it will be soon. And let's see. Now, as to the question, is the defense healthier than they were going into the TCU game? He got Pearson back. He got Reggie. Again, he got Reggie Pearson back last week. Uh, I think the two question marks right now are, when do you get Tony Bradford back from a yeah. lower injury? And when do you get Adrian Fry back uh, from what looked look like a shoulder injury they suffered in, in that TCU game? Um, I think, you know, here – Here's my deal. I, well, they talked uh, all all season about how how much the depth has improved, and I think now is when uh now's when you need to show it. I think you can, you know, legitimately put enough guys out there that uh, the injuries are not an excuse. I mean, even if Tony Bradford is not back this week, um, you still have Jalen Hutchings at nose. Still have uh, still have uh, Kevin Drew and. Uh, Tyree Wilson on the ends and those those guys are starters anyway um so it's not like you're dropping it's not like you're asking guys to play it's not like you're in a position where you're asking guys to play who haven't played and I would say the same is true I mean you still have Nelson and Bannisor still have Philip Bleedy guys who are regulars in your rotation so I think you're uh you don't have a reason not, not to be competitive up front. We talked about you played four linebackers last week, and uh, you're still even with the entries in the secondary. Uh, even if Adrian Fry were not back this week, you still have you still have uh, Demarcus Fields and Rashad Williams who are your regular full time starters at cornerback. You got Malik Dunlap back last week for the first time in a month. Uh, still have Eric Monroe. And Dadrian Taylor Demerson, who have played a lot of safety, and still have Reggie Pearson, who's a full-timer at safety. So, um, like I said, don't, I don't know uh, – I, I don't think it's long-term entries necessarily on Tony Bradford or Friday the 1. I don't know whether they will uh, be ready to go on Saturday. Maybe maybe they will. Maybe they won't. But even so, I think you have a representative uh, number of guys for all those – at every level of the defense – and so you should be able to uh, uh, give it a good – give it a good go, give it a good showing. Uh, let's see. Do, we, do you want to go – Carlos, do you want to go all football questions and then basketball or – Let's do that. Let's Go back that. and forth. I mean, your call. I mean, I can
1: certainly go. But, I mean, I, all right. I, we should just stick with football.
0: Okay. Let's go uh, one more football then. Tate asked, if Matt Wells wasn't coaching for his job, would you see Donovan Smith full-time at quarterback – to let him develop, or is he just not ready? And my answer to that is uh, uh, college football is about putting your best players on the field every Saturday who give you the best chance to win. Minor league baseball is about developing young guys with winning, not being the priority. Um, At this point, text priority, as is the case again with most teams, is who gives you the best chance to win on Saturday. And uh, Henry Columbia with his experience level and with what he has shown you he can do running the offense efficiently. I mean I think I th- he can do everything that you, that you want this offense to do. Uh, the controlled passing game knows how to uh, involve the running backs and despite people's criticism of his arm, you're still talking to guy he's hit eight passes this year longer than 35 yards. His arm is fine for this offense. And so I I think they kind of like what they have right now. Uh, I think they kind of like how it's operating right now. Columbia's still going to be the guys, I think, getting three-fourths of the snaps. Uh, Smith is still going to get one or two plays a series, three out of every four series. That's my expectation. Uh, And as to the question, is he uh, just not ready? I mean, again, he's he's a freshman, and these guys need time. Same thing with Baron Morton. People have, I've seen people panic over, you know, what's wrong with Baron Morton? Why isn't he, why isn't he playing? He's, he's a freshman. and <laughs> He played 3A, 3A high school football. Donovan has uh, you know, one more year experience, but still hasn't played a ton of college football. So I think they like kind of um, bringing him along slowly, giving him a small amount that's easy for him to manage easy for him to rep during the week and then go execute it on Saturday and so far so good. So I don't think you'll necessarily change it soon, but again, whether Matt Wells was uh, feeling the heat or wasn't, I don't think uh, the distribution of snaps at quarterback would be drastically different. I think the fact that you're adding Donovan Smith with expanding the packages that he
1: is in shows that they feel Donovan Smith can give him a chance to win because if he didn't, they probably wouldn't have him on the field. And I agree with you on that. Oh, yeah, on. for sure. Um, yep. And I think people forget Donovan Smith has been here a couple of years, but that one year was spent rehabbing a shoulder injury. So I think people forget that.
0: So Yeah, that too. Yeah, which cost him a little bit. Kept him off the field for a good portion, a good chunk of last year, practice-wise anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, let's swing it over a couple of basketball questions. Uh, uh, actually, person who call, calls themselves 002 asked, uh, Where does Tech men's basketball finish the season of the conference standings? That's all you, Carlos. They are picked fourth. Uh, you're gonna, they were you know, picked fourth. There's a picked fourth, that, picked fourth in
1: the preseason. Big 12 conference rankings were unranked in the preseason AP top 25 poll, I think. The best way to say they're going to stay in the fight, as a previous person said, Mark Adams is a big fighter. He's a, he's a boxer by trade. His uh, dad was a Golden Glove boxer. I think uh, you could see them anywhere from like four to six. I think if you're able to get some big wins on the road, I think you could potentially get that into the top three. But I think if you're within that four to six range, you're going to get some ranked wins in the Big 12, which certainly are going to happen because you've got some good teams. I believe there's four. Uh, that Texas for sure was ranked. I know there were five. And you're all you're also going to get Baylor that was ranked, won the national championship last year. So you're going to get a lot of ranked wins in conference if you're able to win on the road or you know hold serve at home. So I think if you're four to six, it's going to get you into the tournament, and I think that's probably where Texas Tech will find themselves in there. I know the second portion of that question because it's a Don
0: Williams. Yeah, hang, hang, hang on, just hang on just sure, a second. Sure. Now I was, I was calling up the uh, AP Top Twenty Five. So Kansas is number three, Texas is number five, and Baylor Thank is you. eight. Kansas three, Texas five, Baylor eight, and so uh, you, you think uh, you think Tech is uh, as good as anybody in the next in the next tier? Then,
1: Carlos I I certainly think they're late 30s early 40s I think they're they, they they've got to prove themselves I think Mark Adams I think it'd be fair I'm not speaking out of turn by saying Mark Adams feels like he wants to see what his team looks like early on I think there's nothing wrong with that This has happened before with Texas Tech where they were unranked that year where they went to the national championship I remember telling a lot of people hey Matt Mooney all these guys are going to be really good transfers you got a couple transfers that I have heard nothing but great things about him. Bryce Williams, Kevin O'Banner. Uh, hint, you may see a story about Kevin O'Banner on Sunday in the Lubbock, in the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. But uh, those two guys have been really stepping up. And I think the fact that you've got two big returners in Kevin McCuller and Terrence Shannon. And then after that, you've got a bunch of transfers that are just long rangy guys that Hey, Mark Adams likes to play defense. I think you're going to see a lot of teams that they hold under 50 to 60 points. And if they're playing the up-tempo style that Mark Adams likes to kind of go back to that first question, you're going to probably win a lot more games than lose. The only times you may lose those games is if you're not able to make threes, because if you're not able to spread the floor, you're not going to be able to make some room for Kevin O'Banner and Bryce Williams to do work in the post. And I think that's going to be something that tech fans are going to be excited about. The post game is going to be, Revitalized with Bryson Williams and Kevin O'Banner this year. And in terms of the win loss record for the football season, is that second portion of 002's question? So that switches back to you there, Donald.
0: Win loss record for the rest of the football season. Uh, I, I, I think K State is in such a disarray at this point, and the discontent in Manhattan is. Uh, you see, be positive, Don. Did you not see the tweet? Be positive. I think the disc- Yeah, Yeah, I the think the discontent. I think the discontent in Manhattan is as uh, much or more so than it is in Lubbock right now. And um, so I, I think Tech will, will get the sixth win on Saturday. And uh, maybe I'm being unduly optimistic, but then I, I think they'll win one of the last four. I don't know. I don't know which one. but I think they'll steal one somewhere down the stretch, whether they're, uh, catch Iowa State on a bad day. Of course, Iowa State maybe already has had its bad days for this season. Yeah, I, I'm still a little. I'm I'm not quite on the Baylor train yet. Uh, I think Oklahoma State's going to be uh, will be tough. Uh, maybe so. Maybe they go to Waco and and surprise the Bears at the end of the season and, and get to seven and five. But but I think they BK State on Saturday and then and then steal one more to go seven and five, which is what I basically predicted beginning of the season. I thought this was about a seven and five team.
1: Yeah. And here's the thing. I agree with you, Don. The problem is just, I am very curious just on the first, just to see the crowd one and number two, just how Texas tech comes out at home, because I think that's going to be the biggest qualifier as to how this team is going to play. Does Kansas state care more? Does Texas tech care more? And I know you've had your story about Texas tech has Kansas state or is is all attentive to Kansas State. That's great and all, but I think the thing that they have to realize is that they have to just show up and show the home fans that have actually shown up to these games that they are going to play comp- competitive football. Because before this all happened, Oklahoma was in a little bit of disarray before they found some freshman quarterback named Caleb Williams. And now I, I'm i not expecting that to be very close now with the way that that offense is running and humming now. Iowa State, I agree with you. They've owned Texas Tech. If they somehow steal that, I would be colored shot Oklahoma State is a team that uh, I think Texas Tech has kind of turned the tide on they could potentially win that one and then at Baylor I think that's a that's a game where if you catch Baylor on a bad day I think that one you could win so I think out of all those I would say Oklahoma State and Baylor to end the year could be the two where they could maybe pull something together at least get some Momentum going into a bowl game with the seventh win, or maybe even an eighth win. But I, I agree with you; seven wins is probably where I saw them. I can't remember what we mentioned when we first started the podcast, but I'm sure we were pretty close to seven, seven, eight wins.
0: Um, let's see. So let's go to looking for the next next question here. And it's back to uh, back to a basketball question. Carlos uh, Samson God's Kingdom asked, "What was different in Chris Beard's discussion at UT?" Than the years at Tech, was he excited to be at the state capitol? Uh, I'm assuming he's talking about what he's what, what he mentioned today, I guess. I uh, well, I, I was assuming it was, you know, what, what, what was it that uh, why did Chris Beard leave Texas Tech? Basically, in a nutshell. I mean, frankly,
1: well, I, I mean, I'll, I'll be straight up, Don. And I mean, I, I think we've had this discussion before. I'm pretty sure I might have mentioned this on the podcast, but it's very difficult when you are at an alma mater. Or, or you could potentially coach for your alma mater the way at Mark Adams is now with Texas Tech and now uh, Chris Beard is at UT to say no to your alma mater because when you say no to them, you may not be able to coach for them again. And I think that was a little bit of a uh, factor for Chris Beard. Do you tell Texas no and maybe, you know, three or four years down the line when, keep in mind, at least before all this SEC talk happened, you could be beating them up the next couple five years. Do you really want to take a coach that's been beating you up for five or six years afterward? I think that was one of the things as to why maybe he chose to go to UT among other things. Obviously now we kind of know the sec is going to be great for him that, that that all happened. And I know one other thing that Brian Davis of the Austin American Statesman wrote that I was kind of there to kind of watch, but they're still friends, Mark Adams and Chris beard. Like they both understand the business of this, Mark Adams uh, kind of joked, he said, this kind of worked out for both of us. I'm coaching at my alma mater, he's coaching at his alma mater. So I think there's a little bit more to kind of like what you said, Don. People are going to find a reason to not like people. Everyone has their reason, we all get it. But the thing is that Mark Adams kind of mentioned is just, these are going to be intense games. Now there's just another you know level to it because of you know just all the things that have happened. But the way him and Chris Beard have talked about it, Everything kind of went well for both sides. I mean, it took Mark Adams about forty-five days to kind of get everything put together because of how uh, late that this decision was made. But I think that's all good.
0: Um, <clears throat> excuse me, got something in my throat. I'll jump. I'll jump in here at the end and say, I, I, I think it's three things. I think one is, as you mentioned, it's alma mater, it's loyalty to the school where you attended. It's, yes. it's uh, two. I think it's a lifestyle thing. You know, the more you know about, more you learn about. Uh, about uh chris uh, you know i think the opportunity to go you know float the river or what he does love the river down there you know more 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 chances to do that than to do it here um and then third thing money uh he is gonna make more money down there than a little bit not much and i know think... you're right not not a not a whole, not a whole yeah. lot but but and I, and I know people will counter by saying well, that's a lot more expensive to live in austin than it is in Lubbock. that's true but um, in high-level sports, uh, seeing your name at the top of the uh, one slot higher on that most highly paid list means stuff. Uh, I, I know it you know, as a big Major League Baseball fan. Uh, guys who are free – if you want a big free agent, uh, make them the best offer. Guys, guys who are going to go where, get, where they get the most money. And uh, Chris is getting more money uh, from Texas – he would have gotten here, as you said, not, not a lot, but he is. And I think that was a factor as well.
1: So that's kind of my answer. And, and you kind of threw, threw in the other ones was it's just, yeah, like I said, it's a lifestyle thing. He was a huge fan of that. And again, I mean, he's talked well about his time in Lubbock. Like he gave success to Lubbock. The whole reason that the Womble is now built is because of the success that was, you know, that occurred the last three years. I know some people may not look fondly on him, but I mean, the thing is, is he brought success. He did success. And now Mark Adams challenge and task is to continue that success. And he knows that that's the mantle that he's on.
0: Yeah. But you're, but you're right. Though. I mean, he, uh, Chris didn't get to pack up that uh, $32 million facility and, uh, and and you haul it down to Austin. It's, uh, it's here and remains here for uh, the benefit, uh, uh, of Mark Adams and uh, Texas Tech guys to come. So, yeah. th- so thank you for that. Um, let's see. Our, our old friend Brandon Ireton asked. Uh, this is kind of a little broader based question, multi sport greatest single moment achievement in Tech athletic history. I'm going to go a little out of the box here, Don, and maybe this will
1: warm your your techs your uh, track and field heart. But I think Wes Kitley winning in Austin the national title I thought was kind of special just because of the way it happened. Obviously the whole reason it happened in Austin was because Eugene, uh, the uh, facility in Oregon was unable, was getting uh, uh, renovated. So they held it there and it was just kind of cool to see Wes Kitley, a guy that's really been grinding Abilene Christian, obviously been in West Texas for most of his life, being able to take Texas tech and win that men's title. I thought that was really, really cool in Austin.
0: Yeah, yeah, on your uh, on your rivals' track, yeah. Yes. Uh, So I'd say that's one. Of course, you got to throw Marsha Sharp's uh, national championship with the Lady Raiders, very first national championship. Oh, absolutely. That's Um, and to see you know forty thousand people follow in Jones AT and T Stadium to welcome them home was uh, was a pretty memorable experience. Um, Now Brandon said, uh, "Well, let's throw in, I guess, from a football standpoint." I, you know, here's the thing. I, I'm not sure there's a clear-cut, obvious answer to this one. Because uh, I think you can make the case for either the national championships because hey, there's, Texas only had two of them in right? collegiate yeah. sports. So I think you can make the case for either national championship. I think you can make the case for, you know, Texas State football teams win over Texas in 08 and then getting to 10-0 and 0 that season. Uh, I think you can make the case for Chris Beard taking the guys to uh, the final night of the NCAA tournament with a team that, which was kind of out of nowhere, uh, you know, with players that you were not highly recruited guys by and large. Um, I, I think you can make a case for any of those four. I, I'm going to go back, though, and, and Brandon said greatest single moment or achievement. Uh, I'm going to rephrase it a little bit. And I want to mix in the most important moment, I think, in Tech Athletic history. And that happened in 1956. And that's when Texas Tech was approved for admission to the Southwest Conference. Um, and even though Tech had been 11-1 and, and beaten Auburn in the Gator Bowl three years before, it was only when they got admitted to the Southwest Conference in 56 that they were kind of perceived as stepping up to the big time. Uh, kind of, you know, much like you know, Cincinnati and UCF and, and 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 those schools were when they just got invited to the Big 12. That was really a landmark day back in '56 in Tech history. The university, not just uh, the university, not just the athletic department, the university in general. That was just uh, as a huge event in Tech history and Tech sports history and. uh, really laid the groundwork for everything that uh, Tech Athletics has been able to achieve since then, because you've never been, you know, since then from 1960, they were granted admission in 56. They became kind of a full competing member in 1960. And really ever since then, you've uh, always been in a conference that was regarded as one of the top conferences in, in American college sports. And so that allowed all these other things that we're talking about to happen.
1: I'll throw one honorable mention. I don't know if you may recall this, but back in 2019 in June, when Texas Tech was playing Oklahoma State in the super regional, some kid named Kurt Wilson stepped up to the plate and hit a three-run home run that helped uh, Texas Tech go to the College World Series. That I can honestly say it was probably the most electric crowd that I have been a part of at that stadium at Law Field at Rip Griffin Park. And that was probably the coolest moment just to see a kid that at that point, if I remember correctly, only had three home runs and 13 runs batted in at that point. And those three were huge. And that was after a solo shot by Josh Young when they were down, at, I believe six, four, and they made it six, five. And I think they ended up winning that game eight, four, if I'm not mistaken, or eight, six, pardon me, eight, six. Okay.
0: I was saying 8-7, but yeah, yeah. I, I think 8 is right, now you mentioned it. Yeah. So, so, so that would be the honorable mention. Uh, let's see. So we've answered all the serious questions. Carlos, we have one, uh, one kind of silly question. All right. And it comes from uh, our friend Choice Woodman. And uh, Choice asks, I'll let you fill in the blank here. Don Williams is to chicken fried steak as Carlos Silva is to blank. Barbecue.
1: <laughs> i mean mexican food um i'm assuming that it's a a fervent love of something i guess or just a a thing that's preferred so i do prefer mexican food tacos i do prefer barbecue i do prefer sleep that's always something but that's probably yeah, thing so, i think of
0: yeah so yeah to me, to me there's like three food groups and that's uh barbecue tex-mex and home style so yeah. uh so. Any, any any combination of those, and I'm good. We do have a uh, we do have a mutual appreciation for Mary's uh, Restaurant in Strong, where, uh, which I'm still proud that I introduced you to that chicken fried steak. I, I had heard of it. I didn't realize Strong was so close to Interstate 20. That's why I'd never been there. I, I assumed it was off the beaten path, but it's not far off the beaten path. And so uh, we've pretty much stopped there, you know, coming and going from Dallas Fort Worth. Uh, the only reason I love going
1: to Big 12 Media Days in June.
0: Yeah, every time since.
1: Or, well, pardon that's, me. Uh,
0: <laughs> that's all the questions for this week. So, I guess we can uh, kind of put a wrap on it then, Carlos. and uh, let good. You, let you uh, get get a little bit of sleep and then uh, come back home from, from Kansas City. Yeah, thank goodness we
1: don't have any Thursday football games for high school because I'd be really tired if I had to go cover a game after getting off a plane. So, Uh, I guess on that note, I'll uh, kind of tag in and let you know that Ryan Black from the Manhattan Mercury News is going to be talking with me to break down the Kansas State football team. As I mentioned at the top of the podcast, he's going to talk a little bit about Chris Kleiman asking the media to be more positive toward his team. He'll give some context on that, talk a little bit about Deuce Vaughn and how much Skylar Thompson has been a difference for Deuce Vaughn and just him being able to run the offense rather than Will Howard. He'll answer all those things and let you know what will ensure that Texas Tech is in a good position to win on Saturday when the Red Raiders host Kansas State at 11.30 a.m. at Jones at 11 a.m. 11 a.m. 11, 11 a.m. I'm sorry. I'm, it's early. Just know it's early. But 11 a.m. Saturday at Jones AT&T Stadium on FS1. And, of course, you can get all the information at LubbockOnline.com. You can get all of Don's stories and all those things. In the newspaper as well on a daily basis including Sunday for his recap and then of course his day after column and notebook and then of course you can follow us at at AJ underscore Don Williams or at CM Silva. JR appreciate y'all listening to another edition of the Red Rider Podcast. I'm Carlos for Don. Talk to you next week.
0: Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left.
1: Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hello everyone, I'm Carlos Silva from the Lubbock Avalanche Journal, bringing you another edition of the Red Raider podcast, and of course we've got the Second portion, so that means that we're talking with a beat writer for the opposing team, and this weekend Texas Tech is hosting Kansas State. So for that, we've got Ryan Black, Mr. Manhattan Mercury Sports Editor. How are you doing, Bud?
2: Hey, I'm doing pretty well. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a little bit unexpected, so well, glad absolutely. That I had to help you out, yeah. <laughs> in a and, pinch.
1: and then, just for people that don't know, just to bring a little bit of context, Ryan and I are uh, sitting here at the old dining table inside T-Mobile Center, of course, Big 12 Media Day happened on uh, today and then uh, the day before. Lady Raiders I was here for two days, so we're doing this in Kansas so technically I guess I'm in Kansas kind of mm-hmm. getting the scoop and we'll be getting the scoop from you for Kansas State. And I think the biggest thing to kind of take away from uh, Chris Kleiman here, Ryan, is uh, three game losing streaks, probably something he hasn't faced, a little bit of adversity and uh, he wants us to be positive.
2: Yeah, you know, that was, I will say this you know, the, the quote itself I think was blown slightly out of context just in terms of you know right after it happened on Tuesday during his weekly press conference you know I mean I mentioned some of the other you know people there just yeah. that he's always been someone who focused on the positive and yeah. always that our coaching style is not to berate guys or make them feel bad yeah. we would we just kind of we want to be gentle with them and mm-hmm. say L- this is the right way to do things yeah and so he's always and there have been other times if you go back and look at quotes he said in the past it has been like I do think there's too much negativity out there I like being positive with the guys being negative doesn't do anybody any good yeah and so I think it just it it was one of those things where it just kind of, uh, he ended up kind of going in that direction about specifically asking the media, like you said, to be more positive. But I, I was talking about it with someone else today, and I, I just don't think Chris Kleiman entered that press conference on Tuesday saying, you know what, I'm going to make sure. I say this. I think it's just one of those things it was a stream of consciousness kind of deal where he just kind of got caught in the moment. But, uh, you know, and he even laughed at the very end of it just saying, because, like, there was a like at least a six, seven-second pause after that where nobody had raised a hand or was yeah. going to ask any questions. He's like, well, I didn't mean that to be the rest of the press conference. Uh, and so I, I just, like, you know, I don't... I just don't think it's quite as bad as maybe it's kind of it looks in print i think if you if you just know his history and mm-hmm. the context in which he said it it doesn't look quite as bad but uh but like don't wrong if he, if he had been a coach he was always negative and then he just kind of came out of nowhere and said guys be positive then yeah. i would have to say this reeks of desperation but i think it was just yeah. more it was just a kind of a slip of the tongue more than anything else but i mean i understand why it gets blown up the way it does because it does to the outside definitely look like someone who's just please give my team positive press coverage i do understand where that how it comes across that way well it's
1: funny you mentioned the word desperation because yeah. in a sense both teams could be in that i know it's weird to say that for texas tech which comes into this at five and two two and two in conference and then of course kansas state on a three-game losing streak and certainly you would like to end that snide against a team that you have played very well or that they have played very well pardon me um from your perspective what have you seen or i guess what are just some of the the local thoughts on kansas state because certainly they played well last year i know it's a weird covid year mm-hmm. but i guess just during this three-game losing streak, uh, what have you kind of seen? I know we can talk a little bit about Skylar Thompson later and Deuce Vaughn, but uh, I guess just what have you seen that's not allowed them to kind of win those close games? I guess is what Chris Kleinman has been saying a lot.
2: Well, and, and again, I know if, uh, Carlos, in a way, you can say this about literally every game, right? Is it sure. just one or two plays sure. each way? Cause like for instance, you know they're down ten-seven in that game at Oklahoma State, yeah. And they have that bad fumble, and then mm-hmm. Oklahoma State you know, flips it very quickly, and now you're down instead of being, you know, ten to seven, now it's seventeen to seven and then oklahoma state extends it from there and and, and k-state loses to them again uh oklahoma obviously everyone knows now about that kind of controversial double review that that again k-state still would have been down but at that point they would have had a lot of momentum it would have been a huge just a huge shift you know for k-state to get the ball with a chance to cut into that lead even more uh and, and then last week again you know they had a kind of a similar play that was reviewed where uh you know they're down 10 to seven Uh, Phillip Brooks catches a pass, takes it up 20 yards, going to be first and goal. They review it. And then they, you know, they they rule correctly that it hit the ground first. Mm-hmm. But then after that, and, and you know, every uh, after the game, and then even Tuesday again when Chris Kleiman was asked about it, he once again said that was the key moment in the game because not only was the call overturned, but then their otherwise reliable kicker from this year ended up missing a fairly short field goal for him. So it ended up going from maybe fourteen to ten, or even ten ten. To now they don't get any points, and Oklahoma State takes the ball down the field and scores a touchdown. So. Again, it's just, it's one of those things where you can just point to a few plays in each of these three games that, you know, hey, if that had gone differently, maybe, maybe K-State would at least be one and two in, in conference play. But mm-hmm. uh, just the margin for error in this conference, you know, for I feel like right nine of the ten teams is so small. I mean, I think you kind of feel like KU is just so far behind right yeah. now that they need kind of to play a perfect game as well as having the other teams slip up some. But I do think there's confidence because you just brought up uh, this, this game, Texas Tech – K-State also plays TC, uh, TCU and then KU in, in consecutive weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, K-State's 6-0 and o against those – a combined 6-0 and o against those three teams since Chris Kleiman became head coach. So I think there's confidence in that, if nothing else, in that this this upcoming stretch uh, is against three teams that K-State has not lost to since Kleiman's been at the helm.
1: And I guess what, what do you feel is attributed to that? I mean, certainly the, the one thing that's really kind of been the bugaboo for Texas Tech is people call this a – Bad five and two. Which y- y- you look at that and you're like, well, five and two is great because you've only lost two games. But those two games, you just were not competitive mm-hmm. in. And, and the two, yeah, Texas looked
2: terrible. That was a bad game there. Yeah, and, and
1: I mean the the thing with that is like both of those teams have something that Kansas State has, which is a. I don't want to use the term elite, but essentially because Bajan Robinson is kind of in his own stratosphere, if we're being honest here. And then, of course, Zach Evans on the same. He was a very highly recruited guy. But Deuce Vaughn, a guy that can run the football, did that against Texas Tech last year. If I'm not mistaken, had a 40-plus yard uh, run that actually mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of just cemented it and said, yeah. okay, th- this game's over. At uh, Bill Snyder Family Stadium, but I guess from your perspective, how has Deuce kind of played so far for Texas? Uh, pardon me for uh, Kansas State, and what what can you kind of see as at least something that Kansas State can take advantage of because I would imagine every team in the Big 12 has seen this mm-hmm. on film just run the football against Texas Tech.
2: Yeah, well, and, and you know, you're talking about how, how, how do I feel like Deuce played this season? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, last week was the first game in six that he didn't score a touchdown either receiving or rushing. So I think he's going to be motivated to get that, you know, get that, res- you know, uh, corrected this upcoming week as well as, you know, and I know some people maybe feel like we as sports artists make too much of this, but hey, I mean, it, it, he is coming back to his home state i'm yeah. not sure exactly how many people are going to make the trip because all of his family lives in round rock yeah. so, i mean that's a pretty good trip to, yeah. to lubbock mm-hmm. but i do think we have a handful of people there and i think you always uh whether you admit it to the media or not i do think players who come from a certain state who feel like they got overlooked by the in-state schools that, that just gives them a little extra chip on their shoulder so like i said i just would be shocked if, if deuce vaughn does not have a pretty good pretty good game saturday
1: In terms of what he's been good at so far, Mm -hmm. it seems like that's what Texas Tech has not been able to stop, and that's going between the tackles, going Mm -hmm. up the middle. Is that something that he's been doing so far this year? Because I'll be quite honest with you. I haven't watched a a ton of Kansas State. Obviously, we're here at Big 12 Media Day, so I'll kind of focus on basketball. But just from your perspective, what has he improved on, and how much is the return of Skylar Thompson, who everyone thought was going to be out, Uh, for the remainder of the season after his injury earlier on. Mm -hmm.
2: Now he's back. How much has that helped, Deuce? Well, I think it definitely helps just in terms of, you know, not that Will Howard's a bad quarterback, and I know people, uh, you know, people who are K-State fans maybe would disagree with that. I mean, I just think he's kind of been thrown into two crazy situations. You know, last year gets thrown in uh, in the second half of that uh, Texas Tech game uh, after not having any spring and basically almost no preseason because of COVID. You know, Mm -hmm. all of it got canceled for K-State in 2020. Then this year, Skyler comes back and the expectation is that Howard will only kinda of play sparingly and then he he ends up having to start for two two straight games. And and so I just I just feel like the it's been a little unfair for to, to to draw these kind of judgments on Howard when he's never been anointed as the guy. He's kind of been Skyler's backer for two seasons, and in two seasons in a row now has been forced into some crazy action. Mm-hmm. So with Skyler back, and you ask him about Deuce Vaughn, he just has such more of a command of the offense, a mastery of it. He's again, he he can kind of make calls at the line in terms of checks and audibles and things like that 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 Will Howard is not comfortable making yet. In terms of what Vaughn has improved the most uh, since in, you know last season, I'd say it is his body. You know, he, he's not. He's never. He's not going to grow another four or five inches. Yeah. I mean, he's mm-hmm. five six yep. and he's one seventy three. I think is what his listed weight is on the roster. But that's that's basically five to ten pounds of good weight that he mm-hmm. added since the end of last season. And so, uh, he's not a guy that you probably want to run twenty five or thirty times a game. But you know, they try to get it to him at least in that kind of fifteen to twenty five range, depending on how games are going. And so. Uh, but like I said, don't get me wrong. I mean, he he can run between the tackles, but he's definitely a player who they prefer to get out in space because he's just he's just so elusive, again, especially to be able to tackle one on one.
1: Once again, you're listening to the Red Raider Podcast, second portion where we talk to the beat writer of the opposing team, Texas Tech taking on Kansas State at 11:30 a.m. on FS1 on Saturday at Jones AT&T Stadium. So we're talking with Ryan Black. You can follow him at Ryan A Black on Twitter. He's the Kansas State beat writer, and then of course the sports editor for the manhattan mercury news we talked a little bit about the offense what has been impressive or at least the thing that's helped kansas state win some games because they're three and three yes they are zero and three in conference but they are three and three mm-hmm. so they have won some games in the non-conference schedule
2: Oh, uh, I'm sorry. So, no, no, just what's been impressive in the in the, the three the three wins? Yeah, j- j- just in terms of their defense, or right? I guess yeah. what, what, what's been good for
1: them on defense, because certainly they've been able to hold teams yeah. pretty low, which has been kind of the the trend overall in, in the Big Twelve. The defenses has have improved, minus of course the Texas Tech follies, but what have they been able to do is it stopping the run is it stopping the pass i guess what or or, and i guess who else has been kind of good at doing that for them individually
2: well probably the best i mean they've got a couple of really good players on, on defense this year in terms of you know daniel green second on the team in tackles but that includes missing two full halves of football because of two different targeting penalties so he's been great when he's been on the field felix Anadike, uzama you know he's one of the leading big 12 players in terms of sacks and tackles for loss so i mean he's he's done a phenomenal job especially especially after everyone thought, well, defensive end is going to be a weak spot after the graduation uh, of, of, you know, White Hubert going mm-hmm. to the NFL. Yeah. Uh, but, but, hey, I'll admit that that is a position right now that's that's hurting because of the fact that Khalid Duke, who is kind of the, the other end, uh, opposite – uh Anna Duque uh is on at the beginning of the year, he's out for the year. And then kind of the back up to him was Bronson Massey and he missed last week and, and they think that he probably will be back, but they uh the pass rush has been lacking the last two weeks, you know, because the stat you've probably seen cited a good bit, Carlos, is that both Spencer Rattler and uh Brock Purdy went 22 of 25, yep. which is just even against air. Yeah, that's hard. But but to have back to back weeks where you have quarterbacks complete 88% of their passes, uh, that's that's not good. And not only that,
1: but one of those quarterbacks is not, not for lo- that
2: no team. longer even the starter. Yeah, and that's what makes I think the that that situation even crazier was that you know uh, Rattler entered the Texas game off this phenomenal game against yes. K-State and just did, did, didn't did translate to the mm-hmm. Red River rivalry. But uh, in terms of other defensive players, you, you know, Eli Huggins is solid up the middle, defensive tackle, but he probably hasn't been maybe as much of a difference maker as they were hoping so far through the, the first half of the season, but being six games old. Uh, you know, I brought up Tate and Winkle missing mm-hmm. that, that field goal. He, he's, again, outside of the one that he missed last week, and he missed one of them earlier in the season, he had been very, very, very dependable in replacing Blake Lynch, who was a very solid player for K-State for quite a few years. And then, of course, you know, cause you have to bring up special teams, right? When yep. you bring up K-State. Yep. Uh, Malik Knowles returned two touchdown, two kickoffs for touchdowns, yep. averaging, I believe, on time I had 36 yards per yep. kickoff return. Mm-hmm. So uh, you have to think that Texas Tech will try to kick away from him if possible. Just blew it out of the end zone if you can.
1: So with that in mind, I guess just to kind of wrap things up, in terms of watching this game mm-hmm. if you're watching Kansas State or you're watching Texas Tech if Kansas State or Texas Tech is doing this you know that it's going in favor of the Wildcats or it's going in favor of the Red Raiders
2: well i'd say that if, if you know if if Henry Columbia can can do what these last two quarterbacks have done and, and it's just completing above 80% of his passes that's that's really bad news mm-hmm. for K-State i mean i will say that i do think K-State K-State can win a shootout this is not a team that has to have like a 23-20 game um, but I, I just think for the defense's confidence that they, they need to really get pressure on him and they need to you know at least get get him closer to a 50% completion percentage as opposed to that, that 88% that they've kind of dealt with the past two weeks. And I hope you don't feel like I'm turning this on you, but I do have to ask the one thing because you were talking about Matt Wells. Sure. W- w- what do people think of this clip that I saw from last week where he couldn't even name anything he liked about Lubbock other than his family? Has that been overblown? or uh, yeah, I just thought that looked
1: really bad. I honestly think it's just been overblown okay. because here's the thing is like if you're winning – this is a blip in the schedule. Okay. Like, he, he, here's here's how I think of it. Three years from now, whether or not Matt Wells is there, <laughs> mm-hmm. is anyone going to remember that that happened?
2: But I know. I mean, the super fans are. They're going to be like, well, remember that time he went on the local that, that, you know, coaching that's show? That's possible. I mean, even... that, but, but I'll, I'll make this
1: point to kind of localize a little sure. bit. There's a little bit of a hero story for Kurt Wilson, who plays for the Texas Tech baseball team. Okay. He went on to the Tim Tadlock show and uh, very famously asked the coach Essentially, putting a question as you kind of you know write questions down yeah. and you give it to coach and says, "When will Kurt Wilson bat?" And then since then he was obviously a hero in the Oklahoma State game, uh, had the big home run during the super regional. So that was kind of what started the mm. the heroic deal of it. I think oh. this is just something to where maybe he will again. I didn't watch it live. I didn't. I haven't watched it to be completely honest with you, but. The way it's been told to me is maybe he was distracted or maybe he just couldn't think. I mean, here's the thing. Like, it happens, and yes, maybe there's the PR answer, but Mm -hmm. I think right now...
2: Just say it's a great town. I I love the town. I love these restaurants. I love the community. It's like, like you can just make it up on top of your head. You don't even have to name specifics. Great town, great people. Uh, you know, they love the Raiders. Yeah. You know, it's like, you, you don't even have to give any specifics. Yeah. It's just like, something that someone who's literally looking at, like, uh, you know, off into space, they're like, well, you, you gotta love the town of Lubbock, and the people love the Texas Tech, you know,
1: athletic program. And, and it's funny because, like, that's usually the default answer right? is the people. That's yeah, the what people. We love the people loving. is what but, you always say. But, but, again, it's just it's one of those things where sometimes you get caught or, you know, you make a bad call yeah. in a game and people remember it. Yeah. And, and, unfortunately, right now, Matt Wells just is not in a situation where people will, quote, unquote, forgive him for something like yeah. that. And. For, for better or worse The stuff is put on the internet So obviously it's oh, yeah. on forever If you or I tweet something bad People remember it Like that's the thing It's just I'm sure if he wins Or they go to a bowl game And they end up You know Winning seven to eight games Maybe people forget about mm-hmm. it And At that point People just say Oh It was just a small little error But then Now it's just a nitpicking thing It's like Oh we can't yeah. play defense We can't do this We can't do this You can't Tell us that the people Are great about Lubbock I think that's what it is Frankly Yeah and uh, it's funny you mention that because I think that's a situation where Chris Kleiman, he's in a three-game losing streak. All of a sudden, people are overanalyzing his comment about, oh, the media needs to be nicer. Yeah. Where. Again, it's a short clip on Twitter, but there's not context.
2: Yeah, and that, that's what I'm saying. I was just a little bit surprised that maybe other beat writers just didn't maybe try to say, like, hey, Kleiman has been known for – constantly mentioning i'm not about negativity i I, you know i preach positivity with my players and i just think that for some reason he just decided to kind of talk to us as media members and try to do that same thing but like i i I just will stand by the fact i do not think he woke up tuesday morning and said you know what i'm going to go into that press conference and ask these media members to be to write positive things about the team or say positive things if you're a radio person i just i don't believe that maybe maybe that is what happened but i'd be shocked
1: I mean, for the record, Matt Wells is a very
2: great person, yeah. just like Chris Kleiman. Yeah. He said it's been great to the media and been. great
1: to people, and I think that's the thing that people forget is, like, they well, forget Well, his first season, they people. won
2: the, the uh, FWAA, you know, Super 11 yep. uh, Team of the Year for media yeah. accessibility, yeah, so he's so, been great.
1: So, I mean, that, that's the thing is, like, people just kind of find things, and then they just kind of pile it on them, whereas... They're good people. Um, I, I think that's what people forget is that they are quote-unquote people. Yeah. People make mistakes. Yep. And unfortunately, they're just people that are paid, you know, five-plus million dollars. So there's a little bit more scrutiny yeah. on what they do each and every week. In the
2: interest of full disclosure, the reason I saw this clip with Wells was because I'm one of these, you know, Texas barbecue geeks. Of course. And so when Daniel Vaughn came there, I guess, last week and was yep. going to all these different spots, yep. someone basically then put in that, that video of, of Wells. And they're like, how could Daniel Vaughn in less than one day have all these great things to say about Lubbock and that couldn't come up with anything. So Um, what did you, have you seen the new, the new top 50 list? what do you, I have, what do you think uh, of it? I've been at Evie Mays. It's delicious. It is great.
1: Um, It's interesting that, well, Rudy's is great. That's all I'm going to say. Obviously there are some other ones in Texas that are great. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the one thing that you can take away from it, just from a general perspective is that there are a lot of places that maybe people haven't seen. And I think the other thing that you can take away is, don't just look at the top 50 list. Go and visit a barbecue place in your spot. Like yep. That, there are always these unheralded... Hidden gems. Un, Yeah, exactly. Hidden gems that people sure. don't know about. Same thing, we're here in Kansas City. There's some places that I'm sure I haven't mm-hmm. checked out. I'm sure there's places you haven't checked out. Oh, but yeah, That's the sure. biggest thing is that people are going to look at the big names, mm-hmm. and they're just going to say, oh, I want to go to these top 10. That's great, but I mean, there are other barbecue places, and I think that's the biggest thing to take away.
2: Yeah, the crazy thing is I actually had been to that Goldie's, the one, that, the one they ended up ranking number one back, yeah. I guess, when I was trying remember when i was down in texas for it but like i just heard some really good things about and it was very 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 good but i'll admit i didn't walk away from it that day thinking this is gonna be number one in texas but it just shows you that you know and it's how they do their rankings of course Mm -hmm. is they don't base it off just the one visit correct you know they go there like the one time and then they have like two maybe two or three other people go and then they have vaughn and uh i believe her name is patricia I'm blanking on her last name. But she's been like the longtime kind of mm-hmm. editor there. Patricia Sharp, I believe is her name. Exactly. And, uh, you know, th- like once it gets down to the nitty-gritty top ten, you know, they they go down there after multiple, multiple uh, visits before they finally make that list. So I, I'll admit I was, I was shocked how low, quote-unquote low, Franklin and, and Snows both were because those have kind of been the two titans the past, you know, d- dozen years in the state.
1: Well, the good thing for you is you can uh, to kind of get us back on track. Oh, yeah, sorry. About that.
2: I just I just wanted to give context about how I saw that clip. Oh, no, I know. I saw it with the release of the top 50 list.
1: Well, the good thing is uh, when you do come to Lubbock, you can go out in Woolforth for the number eight barbecue place. That's Evie maze.
2: Well, I wish I could, but it's gonna be closed because you know no. it's, gonna, it's like only 11 no, to 3 true. on Saturday. I'm, I'm thankful I got to go there about two years ago. It was it was yeah. it was one of the very best i've ever been to for sure so that they, they deserve all the accolades they, they've received
1: that sure. is true so you can obviously check them out uh, for mm-hmm. those that are in lubbock or around wolforth 11:30 a.m you can check out texas tech mm-hmm. taking on kansas state kansas state three and three oh and three and big 12 texas mm-hmm. tech five and two and two and two in conference usa play appreciate ryan black the kansas state beat writer for the mercury
2: big 12 play Big 12. Big 12. We're just thinking of Conference USA because of all the realignment stuff. I'm sure it's on your mind.
1: Yeah, well, there's a lot on my mind. But, again, appreciate you, Ryan, for helping me and correcting me. Sports editor for the Manhattan Mercury News. Kansas State beat writer for them. And, of course, you can check out our coverage at Lubiconline.com, in the newspaper on Sunday. And then, of course, at CMSilvaJR for myself or at AJ underscore Don Williams for all the tweets and updates starting a little before 11. 30 a.m. on Saturday at Jones AT&T Stadium as the Wildcats take on Texas Tech and Texas Tech looks to get bowl eligible. So for Ryan, I'm Carlos. Appreciate you all listening. We'll talk to you next week.